0: us turn our attention back to Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. As we read these words, we came to verse 41. We've looked at a number of different things so far, how they heard, the fact that we can hear the gospel proclaimed, and yet actually we may not hear the fact that they were pricked in their heart, what that meant. In verse 41 here we read these words. That they that gladly received his word were baptised. And the same day were added to them about 3,000 souls. So when it says there that they that gladly received his word, it's, it's got to be an opposite to that. There were they that gladly received, which means there were also those that didn't. Those that didn't receive the word of God. As we mentioned a couple of times previously, according to the historian Josephus, on that day of Pentecost, it was likely that the numbers of people in Jerusalem exceeded over two and a half million people. Of course, we can't give an exact number but it doesn't matter. The point is that they were milling around that place, millions of people. So wherever it was, again, there is, you know, some evidence as to certain places where they think the upper room was and where they were at the time. I've been to actually the place where they say the upper room was. I stood in the building, which is actually it's different now and it's either higher or lower than it was, whichever. But I've been to the place where they say is the place where this happened. So you can see that when Peter raised his voice, that he would have been heard by many, many people. And there were those that heard physically. And there were those that heard that, and they were indifferent to the gospel. Not only were they indifferent, they mocked the gospel. There were those that shouted, surely, these, these folks, they're just, they're just drunk. They're full of sweet wine. That was their reaction. These people must be drunk. And yet there were those that we read in this verse here that gladly received his word. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 36, It says, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And then verse 34 says this, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. This is Jesus. I come not to send peace the sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her her mother-in-law and man's foes shall be those of his own household. How true was this uh, seen in the life and ministry of Christ himself? Who was it that rejected him? In John chapter 1 it says that he came to his own and his own rejected him. His own people, his own brethren, his own kin rejected him. Not only them, but the religious people of the day, they rejected him. And actually planned to murder the Messiah. Which is part of this message that Peter gave. It was you, you crucified the Christ. But he came to bring a sword. What does a sword do? A sword separates It divides. And that's exactly what the gospel does. It separates. It divides. We're told in Mark 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. So here we have the Gospel, and Jesus clearly says that the Gospel will go out into all the world by you, who I am sending, as he speaks to the twelve, and what will happen is that you will have them that believe and you will have them that reject. The Gospel, friends, is not all about salvation, it's also about justice. The sword comes to divide, so the Gospel is preached and there are those who receive this word gladly. And it said of those that they will be baptized and they shall be saved. But it also speaks of the negative. That the gospel also comes to bring justice. Either one of, one of two things is going to happen in this world with the gospel. The Bible is very clear that every man will give an answer before God. And that everybody will have no excuse so the gospel, when it's preached, is either going to bring men unto salvation, or it's going to bring them to justice. That's one of that's 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 the two things that's going to happen. So that nobody will stand before God on that day and so say, "I never heard. I never knew. Nobody told me." And the Bible says that nature, nature itself, declares that there is a God. And oh man, you have no excuse. Now we know that looking out, as we spoke earlier, into the galaxies and the trees and the flowers and the wonders of this world that God's created, although it is there to show us that there is a God, doesn't bring us to salvation. But it does leave us without excuse. The gospel is preached, some will receive, and some will reject. And those who reject will be brought into swift judgment. The word of God is quick, it says in Hebrews. 412 powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow deeper than you or I could ever even fathom and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart we can't escape god friends you can't escape From our our thoughts and what we think. And our heart's intentions. God knows everything that we think. He knows that everything that we try to hide. Our sin. The darkness of our own hearts. He knows it all. And the word of God is that sword that comes to deal with it. I believe that the word of God deals with everything. Somebody once came to me uh, a few couple of years ago, we started to preach in the town of Alfreton in the open air. And it's, it was a thoroughfare, and there was a number of shops down, down there. And as soon as we started preaching, a young man came out of the shop, a, a charity shop there, nice, nice young man, very forward, very chatty, uh, and, and he came to us and he said, "Can I ask you a question?" So of course you can, absolutely," he says. I, "I'm, I'm, I'm a homosexual man, and I'm married. Can I come to your church?" I said, "Absolutely, absolutely, you'll be welcome." And I think he asked the question because he'd been rejected before. But I said this to him: "I said, absolutely welcome, but again, <coughs> one of two things will happen." You will come, you'll sit under the word of God and you'll be challenged and pierced through by the word that you'll be saved by his grace and you'll, you'll, you'll walk away from the life you live. Or you'll hear the word of God come under condemnation, not be able to accept it, be angry and you'll leave. The word of God always deals with situations if it's preached truly and properly. So when we come under it, we are dealt with and it is that sword Pierces right through. Have you ever sat in your seat and heard a message and felt like everyone else had disappeared and the eyes of the minister and the word was just for you?
1: Yeah.
0: That's what it is to pierce through. Not a flash in the pan, not one of those things that you hear that touches you for a second, and then afterwards we you know we start living our life again and forget about everything that's just been said. I remember hearing Paul Washer when he preached that shocking youth message. I don't know if anybody in this room has heard it. But to me, when I watched it, I felt like he was talking to me and I couldn't shake it, I couldn't get it out of my head or my heart. That was one of the things that God used to revolutionise my mind, my thinking and my heart. These things happen when we come under the preaching of the word of God. Again it says in Ephesians 6, 17 talks about, you know, in Ephesians 6 about the the armour of God and then he goes on to say that the the sword of the Spirit, we just sang it in that song, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Spirit wields the Word. So the Word of God on its own, in a sense, we can look at this here, and this is, this is the English translation of the original languages of the Word of God written in Greek and Hebrew and some in Aramaic. But we could just say that, that this, is, this is just paper and ink, and in that sense it is. Unless the Spirit of God is upon the Word, it could just be a dead letter. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you pour over the Scriptures, for in them you, 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 will find, you think you find eternal life. And yet you ignore, ignore, ignorant to the fact that it's actually proving and showing to be all about me. We can know these and read these and, and have an intellectual assent to these, and yet not know Christ. It's the Spirit of God who wields the sword and pierces through. But the point of this message this morning, with regards to this verse we're looking at, the day that gladly receive, is this that the gospel always achieves what it was sent to achieve. Whether it be unto salvation, whether it be unto justice, and all the things in our lives. And in this world that the gospel deals with, it never fails. The gospel of Christ never fails. Do you believe that?
1: Yeah.
0: It never fails. What kind of God would we believe in if we believe that the gospel fails? We say He's sovereign, we say He's powerful, we say He's almighty, we say He's omniscient and omnipresent. And yet sometimes we. We kind of portray him as being somebody who is weak, who's waiting for people to respond to him. As Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, So shall my word, listen to the certainty of what God says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Absolute certainty that God's word always does and achieves that for which it was sent. It goes forth out of his mouth. It's his word. We read that in (coughs) Timothy. It's inspired. It's written. It's breathed by God. It's his word. When we read these scriptures, we need to look at them and accept them and, and, and ponder on them and pray about them as the very words of God. Paul said, didn't he, to the Thessalonians that you received them not only or, or merely as the word of man, but as they really are the word of God. So shall the word be that goeth out of my mouth, it will not return to me void. But it shall accomplish all which I please. And it shall prosper into the thing whereunto I sent it. There is no doubt about it. That the word of God will always achieve that for which it was sent. We read in 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless it says, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his. Allow that to process in your heart and mind. God knows them that are his. What does he say in Psalm 1? Let me just turn to it quickly. Psalm 1, at the end there. It says in verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And here we see in 2 Timothy 2. The Lord knows them that are his. The gospel, friends, always achieves that for which it was sent. Matthew 13, verse 23 says. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that what? Hears the word. Not just hears it with his physical ear. But hears it in the very... Uh, part of his being that we read about in Hebrews four twelve that pierces right down to dividing line of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. He hears it right there in his soul in the depth of his being, and it pierces him through. He hears it, understands it, and it's key that it says that it bears fruit. Brings forth some hundred, some sixty, some thirty. As I've said, the gospel separates. On this computer here, on the uh, desktop, there is a scripture which we love, John 10. It is, and I'm going to read a few verses to you from John chapter 10. It was at Jerusalem, verse 22, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said to him, How long do you make us to doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you didn't believe. I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not. Why? And he gives the answer. Because you are not of my sheep. Some will believe, some will reject. The Gospel will always do that for which it was sent. Some will believe, some are his sheep. But he said to these people, you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I told you and you believe not you believe not because you're not of my sheep the gospel Jesus Christ told them that he was the Christ and they didn't believe the gospel separates the sheep from the goats those that believe and those that do not the ones that hear his voice and the ones that do not the ones that hear his voice follow for they know their shepherd And they won't follow a stranger. But those who don't, they won't. John 6, 63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Now listen to what it says. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, that believe not. From the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning. He said, didn't he, before Abraham was, I am. That he was before the foundation of the world. He was there where the world was created. He spoke it into existence. He was there before, in the beginning. He knew who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore I say unto you, no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my father. It's impossible. We are dead in trespasses and sin. How many times do you see a dead man rise and do anything? I think it was Paul Washer that said, go and ask a dead man to make you a cup of tea. He's not going to respond, is he? No more can a dead man make you a cup of tea than he can respond of his own accord while he is dead to the things of God. No man can come to me except it be given of the Father. But here we have in this context, 37 through 47, 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. And it says, the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls these three thousand souls i just want to to bring this in just as a side note i think it's valuable that here we're told that it was in the same day that three thousand souls were saved and added to the church it was the same day that these miraculous events were happening amongst the apostles now i don't know if you've heard of the aog i'm sure you have but the aog UK on their page entitled "What We Believe," which is the Assemblies of God, the Assemblies of God UK have a web page, and on their page that says "What We Believe," basically their statement of faith, under the heading "Baptism of the Holy Spirit," have written this following statement. This is what they this is what they write. This is the words from their website. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an endowment of the believer with power for service. The essential biblical evidence of which is the speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. So that last bit there where it says the essential biblical evidence being the speaking of tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. So according to this statement, if you don't have this essential gift... If you in this building today do not speak in tongues, it's very likely that you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's very dangerous. People of this ilk try and get it put across that if you don't speak in tongues, you're probably not even saved. I would stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and answer for that. But it's the same day, the same day that the Holy Spirit filled these believers, the same day that those in the upper room miraculously did speak in the tongues of previously unlearned dialects, for that's what it was. The same day that Peter powerfully delivered that first sermon and 3,000 people were pierced through, pricked in their hearts, brought to their knees in grief over their sin, crying out to the apostles for guidance, they repented. They were baptised. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit and were added to the church. It says that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The wonderful, miraculous power of God is clear to see in these 3,000 people. Yet there is not one reference anywhere about these 3,000 souls manifesting the same gift of tongues or prophesying it said that many of these things were done through the hands of the apostles. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 12 7 tells us that all are given some gift by the Spirit for the benefit of the church. But the context of this chapter also shows that the church is one body made up of differing members with differing gifts. And he goes on, doesn't he? He says, All right, ask the question Are all apostles, teachers, prophets, workers of miracles, do all speak with tongues? well, the very context, even in the Greek, is a resounding no. So this statement of the AOG is a dangerous one and can really bring damage to new or weak believers. I know this because I've been there. I've seen it. And I wanted to make note of that because it's important that when we read these contexts that we sometimes pick out those things. Jesus said, didn't he, when he, in his rebuke to the Pharisees, he said, "But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men." Matthew fifteen nine. That's what I believe the AOG are doing. They're teaching the commandments of men and putting many people under condemnation. Luke fifteen ten. Just moving on. Says these words, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Absolute joy in heaven, wonder, the noise that resounds with the angelic beings in heaven, the creative beings of God to do his bidding, the messengers of God. There is joy in heaven over one sinner, the Bible says. But here we have 3,000. 3,000. 3,000 people. And it can sometimes appear, can't it? In the world that we live, where we see the church depreciating, getting less. It can be very downheartening. We can sometimes think that we're in a time of dearth. Lack of growth, nobody seems to be listening to the gospel. Nobody seems to be coming to Christ. The conversions seem few and far between. Yet all across this globe, on this very day, people are being saved continuously. So that there is a constancy to the joy over the repentance of sinners in the presence the angels of God, it never stops there's always joy in heaven because there are, whether we see it or not countless people being saved all across the earth and we have to believe and we have to by God's grace develop a hunger and a thirst to pray for revival to pray for people in churches and people out of them Again, we see in Acts chapter 4, it says in verse 4, Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So here we have five, not three, but five. More people coming into this special time of the church being birthed. 5,000 people being saved, 3,000 being saved, more being added to the church daily. Gospel doesn't fail. And even if today, even in this church today, even in this area today, if we feel like we are seeing nothing happen, what do we think? Is God just having an arrest? He's he just put his feet up for the day. every single person that is being saved and meant to be being saved and all the work of god is exactly and absolutely being done according to the will of god he is in absolute control there is nothing that's happening that is not according to his will nothing that takes him by surprise nothing that happens that he hasn't allowed we have to have a greater view of god and these are the kind of things that we began to look at last week at the Bible study, the decrees of God. There's nothing out of his control. So we, you know, we think, don't we, about our families that we're praying for and we just wonder, why Lee, why have he saved me and yet my family? It's still where they're at. God is always doing something. In them, but in you as well. Putting our trust in God. We read these, these psalms about how David was always fighting against his enemy. How They were always coming at him. And he was constantly praying, Lord, save me from my enemies. Deliver me from their traps and their pits and their holes that they dig for me to fall in. It wasn't the fact that he never had any issues. That he wasn't you know, going to almost fall into these pits. And sometimes he did. But it, he always... Praise the God of his salvation. He always went back, but you, but you are my rock and my fortress. You are the one who upholds me. That's where we've got to stay. We've got to continue to pray for our loved ones, continue to hope in Christ that he will deliver them out of bondage. But this gospel and those people. Who are saved and who preach it. It says in 2 Corinthians 214 It says now thanks be unto God. Which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Always. And makes manifest the savor of his knowledge. By us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. In them that are saved and in them, that perish. So whether people are being saved or whether people perish, the gospel and those who preach it are a saver unto them. Can't avoid it, one way or the other. And it says, to one we are the saver of death unto death, and the other the saver of life unto life. And then the question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for things? like this the savior unto death after Stephen's speech we read in acts 7:54 when they heard these things these people that were about to stone him when he heard these things they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth they heard the gospel they heard the wonderful riches of christ through Stephen, before he was martyred. And what did they do? They gripped their teeth in anger and hatred. They gnashed at them with their teeth. Which is the attitude of hell. We we, We hear that, don't we, about hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Constantly. I've heard people say that in hell... That everybody will be there longing to be able to repent and can't mm-hmm. i disagree i think people will be continuing gnashing their teeth at god for all eternity going on and on and on deeper and darker into the depths of sin and hatred and reviling against the god of light mm-hmm. 1 corinthians 2 14 says but the natural man Receives not the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. There we have it again. But those who don't know God, to them it's foolishness. Nobody just turns around and says, yes, in my logic, I have decided to follow Jesus. (coughs) They may say that. (coughs) But the reality is that these things are foolishness to those who are are spiritually dead. Because the things of God can only be spiritually discerned. And if you are spiritually dead, you can't discern. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So many people in this day and age, they think that they know the way to heaven, being a good person, paying monies to charity, being part of a religion that always lead to God at the end. Surely God's going to accept me. I've done all I can. I've lived for my family. I've been a good man. I've given, I've helped, I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. It matters not that's a way that seems right to a man. But that way, friends, leads to death. The wisdom of man leads to death. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's similar to what we read earlier. Some will believe, some will reject. He that believes is not condemned, he that does not believe is condemned already. Why? What's the reason? What is it that leads to this death? He doesn't even speak about sin. He doesn't even lay down the fact that they've been adulterers, or they've lied, or they've stolen, or they've not fulfilled the commandments. Now we know sin is an issue that blocks us off from God. But what is the ultimate sin? The ultimate sin is right there. Because we have not believed upon him. That's what he says. That's why they're condemned. Because they've not believed upon Christ. That's why they're condemned. And rejecting Christ, friends, leads to a whole multitude of sin and darkness. Mm -hmm. He that hears, it says in Luke 6, and does not, is like a man without a foundation, built on a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Anything else but Christ as the foundation of our life is but quicksand. Whatever we build upon, whatever sure foundation we think we have, Without it be Christ, it's a house that's built on sand. And when that storm comes, when that judgment comes, it's going to collapse and great will be its fall. There's only one foundation. And that is Christ. The impenetrable, the unbreakable, the immovable rock of salvation. That's death. What about life? Luke 6, 47 and 48 says this. Whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like the man which built a house and he dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. Impenetrable, unbreakable. If you are upon the cross, the the Christ this morning, if that is where you stand, if that's where your house is built, it is absolutely impossible for you to be broken down by anything. Because it's founded upon a rock. And if we believe, friends, come on, if we believe in our Christ, in the the way that the Bible talks about him, is he ever going to let you go? Has he got weak hands, feeble arms? Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, that you first and also to the Greek. The power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Christ. I am living bread, he says in John 6, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And in 1 John five twelve, it says, He that hath the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. That's it. All of the sin, all of the things we can point out that we've done wrong or or sinned in. It it all makes a difference. It's alright that we should talk about sin. Absolutely, sin is the issue. But it talks about the Son. Do you have him or do you not? If you have him, you've got life. If you don't, you're dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. He is the one that deals with sin, but to reject him is the absolute epitome of sin. Mm. But if we have him, we have life. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. He's talking to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. This is the great hope that we have. We're all of different ages here, all of different constitutions. Some uh, healthier than others. But here is the promise. Though he die, yet shall he live. That what do we read in Acts 2? The promises are to you and to your children and to all who are far off. And his promise here says this, if you have him, you've got life. If you even are on your way, which we all are one way, shape or form to death, yet shall we live. There is life in Christ. The gospel doesn't fail. There is not any one person that will ever make a claim in heaven that the gospel has failed. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It will never fail. Christ will lose none of whom the Father gave him. They that gladly received his word will have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world will be holy and without blame before him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And this is the whole work of God. For we were dead in trespasses and sin. And who is it? Who is it that has quickened us? But God. Who is it that's raised us up to sit together in heavenly places with Christ, but God alone? Jesus Christ became the surety for the redemption of his people. He laid down his life willingly as a substitute for us. He died in our place. He took all of our sin, all of that vile filth, all of our perversities, all of our depravity, and he bore it in himself and was punished as though he himself had committed such atrocious acts. Again, how often do we think about such things that he was punished? Not just, he didn't just you know, take a bag of sin and put it on his shoulder and pay for it. He was, he was treated by his own father as though he was the one that had committed it. you know your sin. You know the darkness of your mind and heart. Nobody knows it better apart from God than you. And Jesus Christ, the righteous, King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one of light, the darling of heaven, the beautiful one, was punished as though he had actually committed your sin. It's very sobering. And if we can just grasp a bit a little of that, Our praises to God and our worship to him will grow. How often do we think about those things? How often do we think that he was wounded for our transgressions? Mine. That he was bruised for my iniquities. That the chastisement of my peace was upon him. That by his stripes we were healed. The fact that we're nothing more than sinners, fallen, wretched God haters who bring nothing but our sin to the table. And yet Jesus Christ gave us everything. We are accredited righteousness because of Him. Life instead of mourning, life instead of death through Him, peace instead of enmity. Forgiveness instead of condemnation, joy instead of mourning, hope where there was no hope. We have done nothing to deserve this grace, this mercy, this love, and yet He has lavished it upon us all. This is why we can say of a truth that we love because He first loved us. How can we not live in true joy then? When we know that the certainty of our salvation doesn't rest in our ability. Jesus lived for us. We often, and should rightly so, think about the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. Died for, in, in our place for our salvation. Paid the price for our sin. But we need to realise that Christ lived for 33 years. He lived for us. Not only died for us, he lived for us. He fulfilled the law for us. For all those years he lived how we should have lived.
1: Yeah.
0: And he died the death that we deserve, and then he joined us to himself. He rose again, conquering death once and once for all. And so, because of that, we will rise. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. We will rise, friends, mm-hmm. with him if we're in him. We will rise. We will put on the incorruptible and will live for all eternity in his glorious presence because simply it pleased him to save us. In the gospel, is a savour of death unto death. Is it a savour of death unto death to you? Or is it as a savour of life unto life? You get tired of hearing it? you get tired of hearing the gospel? We need to examine ourselves if that is the case. To see if we're in the faith. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. One way or the other. The gospel will not fail to do its work. We can be absolutely sure of it. The gospel, friends, never fails. We've got to trust in it. We've got to put our faith in Christ. Not only for ourselves, but for all those we seek him for. In the face of adversity, in the face of uh, uh, the place we live in. Wondering what's happening around us and asking. Look at the crime breaks. Look at what happened in Doncaster yesterday. Two young people stabbed to death. They wonder, where is God? Oh, he's there. Be sure of this, friends. This world ain't getting better. I don't know where you are in your eschatology, but this world is not getting better. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Tribulation's going to grow. It's going to get worse, and Christians are not going to suddenly just miss it. They're going to go through it. We're going to go through it with God, we're going to go through it with Christ and we're going to believe that through all of this that he's going to save many people. And that we're going to, have to see a great revival amongst us. The gospel never fails. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you, Lord, that as we see in the scriptures all the words that tell us just how certain this is. Lord, forgive us if we've ever believed in a Christ that is weak. In a Christ that stands at a door waiting for somebody to open it for him. Looking all sad and dejected. I've died for you, but you just won't open the door to me. Oh God, forgive us for thinking in such a weak way. The Lord, your word tells us that you know who the righteous ones are. Your Bible tells us that you have chosen your people before the foundation of the world and you know who they are and you have saved them and you will continue to save your people and you will not let one of them slip out of your hand. Lord, what assurance that is. What wonder there is. What truth there is. What power there is in the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us to preach it, to teach it, to live it, to show it wherever we are. Lord, help us to believe. Lord, if there is any doubt in this room, if there is any unbelief, Lord, will you destroy it and bring people to salvation, bring people to faith? Lord, will you cause people to hear? Will you cause your word to pierce right down to the dividing line of soul and spirit? bone and marrow save we pray amongst us (laughs) save families, save children save our grandparents, save our parents save our aunts and uncles, save our friends Lord do something wonderful amongst us in this place save this town we pray bring notorious criminals to the foot of your cross cause them to see the burden that has been paid for, drop from their shoulders and caused them to become great evangelists for you. Lord, do it again as we've read in the past. Great revivals. Do it again amongst us for your glory. And help us, Lord, to be the true church of Jesus Christ. In yes. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.